Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another Britflix Frightfest preview podcast for the 2015 festival. I've got a new guest with me. Please introduce yourself. Hello, my name is John Fallon. I'm the writer, director, and producer of The Shelter. The Shelter, right. Okay, do you want to give us a brief synopsis of that film? Sure. The Shelter is about uh, a homeless man with a past who uh, wanders about and eventually comes uh, upon a uh, beautiful house with the door wide open. He comes inside, makes himself at home, has some food and everything, finally falls asleep, and something really bad happens, and when it comes time to come out, the house won't let him out, and he has to figure out why. And so does the audience, actually. Sounds like a proper nightmare. <laughs> that it is, but it's uh, it's definitely not... A straight horror film, but more along the lines of, uh, and I'm not comparing myself to those directors, by the way, but uh, more along the lines of uh, Polanski's uh, Repulsion, or uh, with a bit of Kubrick uh, tossed in there. Okay, well, look, that's a good segue into my next question, then, because then you can expand on that a bit more. Sure. If, if, if a horror film was equal parts of four of the main ingredients that I think are in a horror film, then mm-hmm. it would be 25% mystery. 25% mm-hmm. gore, 25% scares, and 25% psychological. Yes. What would be the makeup of your movie, given what you've alluded to already? <clears throat> um, well, actually, I would uh, have my own uh, little check- checklist. <laughs> it's uh, definitely uh, 100% mystery. Yeah. Uh, n- actually, no, I can't say that, because now I have no room for the other ones. So let me put it this way. It's... Uh, <laughs> 25% mystery, yeah. uh, 50% uh, drama, mm-hmm. and uh, 25% horror film. Okay, okay, right, okay, so that's very specific then, so you're sort of, you're sort of saying that you kind of, you, you're, you're straddling genres then with this movie. Yeah, no, definitely. The, the way I perceived it, uh, I mean, it is a low-budget film, Yeah. and um, I figured if I can't take chances... Uh, with a low-budget film, if I can't try to do something different, something that, you know, obviously not everybody is going to like, something that's outside the mainstream, if I can't do that with a low-budget film, then when can I do it? So uh, I figured, fuck it, I got to do it. So I did it. Indeed, indeed. That's a, that's a, that's a bold move and a wise move, I, I think. Um, so so in that sense, where where was the... Actually, let's before we get into the detail of the movie, when, when and where can people see it at Frightfest? It's going to be playing on Friday, August 28th at 8.40 p.m. Uh, I'm going to be there in person, and so will uh, executive producer Burge Garabedian, which uh, some movie fans may know uh, as Joe Blow from JoeBlow.com. Fantastic. That's very exciting, very exciting. So um, where was this? I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting idea, 
and, 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 a, and a, almost like an it's, it's almost like a self-contained nightmare. The idea of going to sleep and then waking up and the world's gone wrong, and all you are is in a house. Um, yeah, I, I've actually actually you know, I would say that maybe forty percent of the film is set in the house. Yeah, yeah. So it's not really like a guy a guy in a house for an hour and a half. It's mm. There are elements of it, but we do go outside the house. But but he, it, the world he leaves behind, and the one he goes out the door. I'm guessing. Look at the trailer as well. I mean, I, I wasn't saying that it was all. In, I wasn't trying to suggest it was all in the house. Sorry, if that was how it sounded. It was more the fact that he he goes to sleep in one world, and clearly he wakes up, and everything's not quite all right. So that's a pretty good nightmare scenario. Um, what was that? What was that born out of? Is in terms of writing, in terms of the idea when you when you conceived it. Well, I was uh, I was coming out uh, from a hockey game in. Uh, I live in Canada, by the way, so we're all about hockey, like you guys are about uh, football. I'm wearing I'm wearing an NHL cap. If you could see me now. Uh, pardon me. Say that again. I'm wearing an NHL cap at the uh, moment, Minnesota. Uh, uh, which one you're wearing? Which team? Mi- Minnesota. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Boo this man. Um, yeah, I'm obviously a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, of course, so, which is my hometown. But anyways, I was coming out of a hockey game and uh, it was winter, it was cold and, uh, I was walking home and there was this gentleman sitting on the ground, obviously uh, homeless, yeah. uh, begging for, for money. So, uh, I gave him a couple bucks and I kept walking on. And as I was walking home, I thought, who is this guy? How did he get there? And where is he going after this? So when I got home, I wrote pretty much those three lines uh, on a piece of paper, and I started thinking about it, and thinking about it, and thinking about it, and um, kind of like the seed for for the screenplay was born. Hmm. And um, I had my opening, and I had my ending, and it took me. And this was a first for me. I mean, I've written other screenplays. It took me three years to crack the middle. Um, for some reason, I I couldn't let go of that script. I couldn't let go of that story. So. On my spare time, I'd always think, I'd always think, I'd always think, trying to crack it, trying to crack it, and finally, Eureka, as they say, I cracked it, and I finished the script, and then uh, proceeded to try to get it off the ground. What, what was, what were the, what were the challenges then in storytelling terms that you couldn't resolve? I, when, I can I ask though, when you say middle, do you mean like you had Act One sorted and Act Three sorted, but it was Act Two? That's it, Act Two. Yeah, it was definitely Act Two. Um, you know, the way the, the way I write, I always have my initial premise and I always have my ending, hence I know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. No, it's a wise move. Yeah, usually uh, it's very simple for me, whether it's a script on spec or uh, a script that I'm hired to write. I usually have, I really don't have a hard time, um, yeah, finding my whole story, finding my beats, all my beats. Mm. With the shelter, <laughs> you know, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? You can swear as much as you like, as long as your mother won't be offended or your father. No, my father won't give a shit, but my mom, <laughs> mom, stop listening right now. Uh, Go on. Yeah, with the shelter, three fucking years, man, just thinking about it and thinking about it. And, you know, we'll talk about it with my friends and try to bounce off them. Just maybe, you know, I would I would crack it, but it wouldn't happen. I have actually a funny, uh, funny, weird ghost story having to do with the writing process of the, the shelter. I don't know if that interests you or not. No, no, please. Go on, please. Tell us. Well, very long. I'll try to make a long story short. Um, basically, when I was writing The Shelter, I was doing a lot of uh, studying and theology, uh, religion and stuff like that. And uh, 
I was living in an apartment building and on the fourth floor and, and there was, um, um, floods. My, my, my pipes were broken and the, the place was flooding. <clears throat> so my landlord told me he was going to send some guy to fix the pipes. So anyways, one day I was doing research on the shelter, trying to crack the, the, the second act. And, um, this guy showed up and he was uh, a plumber and, uh, he proceeded to fix my pipes. And while he was fixing my pipes, he would come into my living room and look over my shoulder, just curious about what I was doing. And I told him what I was doing and he suggested some sites to me, uh, you know, uh, religious based sites yeah. that actually wound up helping me a lot and putting me on the right track. So anyways, he suggested stuff. I went, I surfed, he fixed my pipes, he left and that was it. So, uh, the next day I wake up and there's like a foot of water in my apartment and I'm like, darn it, you know, this, this fucking guy did a shit job. So, <laughs> you know, I went downstairs and I complained to my landlord. I'm like, dude, you know, this, this guy didn't fix the pipes uh, properly. Can you send him back? And my landlord said, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. We didn't send him yet. We didn't Whoa. send the guy. So, yeah, that was a tum-tum-tum uh, moment for me. And, uh, yeah, no, to, I mean, obviously, you know, maybe, you know, they, they got the wires crossed or something. You know, there's there's always a potentially a rational explanation for everything. But for me, it kind of freaked me out, <laughs> to be honest. So, I, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. What, what, were you, what were you reading that he was looking over your shoulder at? No, I was just, the thing is, there's a lot of religion in the shelter. And, you know, even though I, I was raised Catholic and I went to Bible school and all that stuff, I needed some refresher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was just researching. You know, I'm kind of segueing here, but... Oh, go segue I always, away. I, I always find it fascinating that, you know, horror films uh, are always focusing on Satan and the devil and possession and, and all that shit, too. But they forget that if you read the Old Testament, uh, God was pretty hardcore about stuff, man. <laughs> you know, he, uh, he, he didn't, uh, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. He was fire and brimstone, wasn't he? Oh, was he ever, yeah. And, and that aspect uh, fascinated me, and, and there is some of that in the shelter. And that's what I was looking into. And uh, this uh, gentleman uh, pointed me in the right direction, and uh, I fell upon the story, uh, the book of Job. Mm-hmm. And uh, that wound up being somewhat of uh, inspiration for the shelter. Well, I can just as an aside, I can recommend a podcast to you called the 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 Church That Flicks Forgot, which is horror film analysis by a vicar, huh. and he and he basically looks at the presence of God in horror films. It's absolutely superb, dude. That's awesome. Let me the Church. That flicks forgot or something like that. I'll I'll, I'll email you the name when I. All right, right, all right. That that sounds awesome, man. But yeah, it's a, it is a really good site, and uh, I met him. I met him once at a at a horror film screening, and it's that that thing of of you're a vicar, and you're at a horror film thing. That's the that's my thing. I wasn't thinking, and then it's like, <laughs> yeah, I like horror, and and you know he's covered things like the Antichrist, you know. So it's like the hard end of the horror, you know. He's not just yeah. just looking at you know Frankenstein and Dracula. But yeah, yeah. It's, really, it's really good. It's, it's just an interesting quote. Like you say, we're, we're all obsessed with the dark side, but actually God, if God is remotely in existence, then he's a bit of a powerful dude and he, <laughs> and, and, and he does a hell of a lot. Exactly. You know, so um, there you go. That's me, that's me reducing religion to God's a powerful dude. Um, oh, is he ever, man? <laughs> is he ever, dude? Right then. Um so, if, so if getting the script was a big challenge for you, when, when, when you were when you when you were sat there with your finished screenplay, um, mm-hmm. and you and you and you'd got the the money you needed to make it, uh, 
What were the uh, what were the challenges in of the shoot from from your from a director's point of view um, that that seemed like the biggest the biggest fence to get over and, and, and how did you get over and, and what and what were if any the breaks you got to achieve to achieve what you wanted? Well, um, in in, ter- in terms of uh, well, getting the money together was actually the a big challenge, and I'm not going to get into it too much because it's boring. But I, I finally wound up financing the production myself. Okay. Um, people, you know, I did, you know, I did the AFM. I met people trying to get private investors, all that shit. Hmm. But they felt that the screenplay wasn't mainstream enough, and it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't one, two, three. You know, it's one, two, around the block, here, there, a little bit here, then three. So uh, it scared people off, and I wound up at a crossroads where um, I had hooked up one of my buddies, uh, Donnie Broussard, who's uh, the producer on the shelter, uh, producer along with myself. Um, he had set up everything for me in Louisiana. Everything was ready to go in terms of finding the right locations. Uh, I went there and auditioned and got the secondary cast. We had locked Michael Perret. Everything was ready to go except the money. So uh, I had some things that were potentially going to come in or not in terms of financing a shelter. And at the end, of course, they nosedived. So I, I had a choice. Either, either I go all in and make the movie yeah. or, or I don't. <laughs> And then wonder what if, and I'm not a big fan of what if, so uh, <laughs> I really hate what if. So I figured, you know what, fuck it. I know it's gonna, you know, I'm gonna go all in. I'm gonna find this whole thing. I know it's gonna be hard <laughs> after that. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but you know, I'd rather die, you know, on my gravestone, written uh, John Fallon made a movie than oh, John Fallon died debt free. So. Um, so that's it. So I financed the whole thing myself, finally. Uh, that's what I decided to do. I put everything on the line. I flew to Louisiana. And then, you know, the ball started rolling really quickly. Uh, in terms of the actual shoot, uh, really, it was one. I've been on many sets. And yeah. it was one of the smoothest shoots um, I've ever been on. And thank, thankfully, it was my directorial debut. So I wasn't complaining about that. Yeah. Um, so I had a great DP, Bobby Hallbrook. Um, you know, it was a, well, a really tight crew uh michael Perret, really I, I can't praise him enough in, in terms of and people will see the film will see by his performance he just blew everybody away even me uh, uh sometimes i'd be behind the monitor and i'd forget to say cut because i was so engrossed by michael Perret's performance how, in casting terms i mean how with you saying the script wasn't an easy fit with it with kind of what people's expectations were how did you get michael attached to the project what was how, well, it's funny because uh, Michael Perret and I worked on the same film as actors uh, called A Hundred Feet um, by Eric Red. Okay. And I, I met him there and, you know, we kept in touch and, you know, we'd be here, you know, meet at the AFAM, have lunch here, have lunch there. And uh, actually, when I wrote The Shelter, Michael Perret is who I had in mind, in my mind. That's what the character of Thomas looked like. Yeah. Um, but I never thought I'd get him. Mm-hmm. So when it came down to, to finding the 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 lead actor, uh, my producer and I, um, I kept telling my producer, I want somebody like Michael Perret. Mm. You know, so let's try to find somebody like Michael Perret. And uh, my producer finally convinced me, how about you, you know Michael Perret, man? You're kind of buddies with him, so why don't you just fucking ask Michael Perret? And I figured, <laughs> you know, I won't be able to afford him or he's too busy, but, you know, that's self-defeated attitude, you know, which was not healthy. So finally I sent Michael, Mike the script. And long story short, Mike loved it, loved the script. I met with him in L.A., we negotiated, came to an agreement, boom, he was in. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. It's that, that old adage, isn't it, that a no is just the se- is, is exactly the same as if you never ask. Whereas exactly. if you ask, 
you can you can get a yes, can't you? <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, in a way, you know, it's ideal. You know, it's it's ironic. There's an irony to it, being that when I was writing the script, the guy was Michael Perry in my. He looked like Michael Perry in my mind. And then when I was on set, I remember a couple times where I'd see Mike. You know do the lines, do a scene or whatnot, hmm. and I would smile. I was like, look at that. It's, it was in my head, and now it's coming to life, you know, with this, the same guy I had in my mind. So it was kind of like a, a meant-to-be thing, yeah? Indeed, indeed. So given, given this was your director's debut, and mm-hmm. you were, you, you're, you say you're from Detroit, Detroit, you're from Montreal. That's right. Um, how, how, how did you prepare yourself for shooting in Louisiana? Did you get a chance to go down much before the shoot, or did you basically arrive... And then find out for yourself when you were there. Well, uh, my producer uh, basically went about and, you know, chased locations, took pictures. And we did everything basically virtually, you know, through the Internet. Wow. And uh, then I flew down and, yeah. uh, you know, looked at locations myself. Uh, we auditioned uh, act the secondary cast. We had already, uh, we already had Michael Perret at that point. Mm-hmm. So I had to, to lock the secondary cast. Yeah. And then I flew back here, more prep, and then finally, yeah, uh, I already I knew the locations by the time I I went to shoot. Got you. Um, actually, just another segue. Um, the biggest obstacle that came during actual production is that the day before we were to shoot, Michael Perret was supposed to land, but there was uh, snowstorms, so his plane got canceled, and uh, I couldn't afford to push the production. And uh, and Mike, you know, was waiting at the airport, waiting for a replacement. And my producer and I were scrambling on the phones trying to get him a flight. And for a while there, you know, it, it looked really bad, man. And and uh, I was scared that Michael Perret was not going to show up um, because of all these canceled flights. And we started entertaining that I would play the lead if that's the case, you know? Oh, my word. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but the upside of that, you know, with every negative comes a positive, is by the time... and. You know, it took pretty much all day to, with my producer and I to, to fix this, to get Mike there on time. By the time that was done, all the stress I could have felt in terms of my first day of shooting was gone. I showed up on the first day of shooting, relaxed like a cucumber, yeah? <laughs> I was purged of stress. I, I just came out, it's all good, man. Let's just shoot this motherfucker, you know? So... So what was the, um, how did you find the transition from in front of the camera to behind the camera? Perfect. Uh, really, uh, well, I was very prepared, number one. Um, yeah. I had a really good DP, um, and I was lucky, you know, because my DP and I, we kind of read each other's minds. We kind of had that synergy going on, so yeah. it, made, it made the shoot go even quicker and smoother and more effortless than, you know, than if the opposite would happen. Of course. So, uh, no, I felt uh, very, I felt very much in my element. Uh, I think the fact that I understand the acting process helped me with the actors. Hmm. Um, and yeah, no, it's definitely a career path. I'm already trying to set up the, the next film, which is completely different type of picture, you know, more mainstream, uh, uh, more accessible for, for a wider audience. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, I loved it. Loved every second of it. Um, the post-production is a different story, but production, uh, I, feel, I totally fell in love with it. Out of interest, you know, what, what, did you, what did you bring to the, what do you think you brought to the director's chair from all those lessons learned from being the actor being directed that you didn't, you didn't, you didn't sort of, that you learned not to do, as it were, in, well, from the director's point of view? What did you think you, you were able to bring? 
is actually give the actors. You see, you see, it's funny because when when we have to wait for lighting, it's okay, and if we have to wait for makeup, it's okay, and if we have to wait for sound, it's okay. But the second you have to wait for the actor, it's not okay. It's like you know, everything is ready for the actor. Hurry up, Mister Actor! Hurry up! <laughs> and it's true, uh, that, is that never thought that's true? <laughs> <laughs> so that always bothered me. So you know, for example, Michael Perret uh, has a couple of very emotional scenes in the picture, and uh, you know, one of them, you know. He needed time. So everybody's coming to John. We're ready to go. We're ready to shoot. We're ready to shoot. And I'm like, guys, Michael Perez is going to take the fucking time it takes. And, you know, we're going to give him the luxury of that, of that time. So it took him about 15 minutes. He came in and blew us all away. And, and you know, we moved on. But that that's one thing that, you know, I noticed as an actor, that the actor is never really given the time to prepare, and I'm sure Tom Cruise gets all the fucking time he wants, but I mean, just like in general, man. Yeah? yeah, yeah, I understand. So, um, and and when the actor asks for time, it's frowned frowned upon. Oh, look at him! You know, he's pretentious. He's he oh, he's playing the artiste card. Well, no, actually, if you have a, a, an emotional scene to 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 perform, it takes the time it takes to get yourself there uh, mentally. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's one thing I, I tried to bring, and 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 it was a challenge to be honest, because you know we we didn't have many shooting days, and you know I got to trying to stay on budget, trying to stay on schedule, and you know it's we had a very bam 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 type of rhythm, mm -hmm. and uh, and sometimes yeah boom it slows down, and you have to wait for this or wait for that, and my attention had to be on the actors, but my attention also had to be you know with my DP, and so. It, it was a learning experience for me to find the balance in terms of where my attention is going. No, no, that, that all makes perfect sense. Um, so when you when um, when you're premiering the movie at Fright Fest, um, what what about the movie? What aspects of the movie or or sequence in the movie are you particularly looking forward to to, to seeing the Fright Fest audience reaction to your film? The ending. Okay. <laughs> the ending. Uh, I'm very happy with the ending. Uh, I'm actually very, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much like 85% happy with the film. Uh -huh. uh, I'm actually curious for a bit because um, I'm going to introduce the film and I'm bringing swag and bringing shelter caps and shelter postcards. For people who want me to sign them or whatnot. Yeah. And afterwards, I'm doing a Q&A and I'm looking forward to the Q&A, man. Cool. Yeah, it should be interesting to see because because it's a film that to some degree is very much left to your interpretation mm -hmm. uh, as to what's really going on. I know what's really going on for me, yeah. But who you are and how you were raised and the nature of your own spirituality, uh, in my opinion, of course, will define how you perceive what's going on in the film. So I, I've had I've already had some reviews. You know, uh, Anne and Cool News reviewed it and gave it a good review, and Dread Central and, and a couple of other guys. And it's interesting for me to see their take on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to, to the Q&A and I'm looking forward to, to, to see the people's reaction to the film, whether it's negative or positive. I mean, that's fine by me. Well, no, look, I mean, I think, I think when, you, when you delve into these, certainly when you delve into the spiritual side of human nature, um, you can get very, very, very diverse responses. And I, I've, I've, see, I've seen this myself firsthand uh, recently uh, at a local pop-up cinema. We showed... Um, Wickerman, nice. and, and we had and we had Robin Hardy there uh, doing doing a Q and A. He's eighty five years old now, and he's still still sharp as a knife. Um, but 
But he was taught, I've always watched, I mean, as someone that's not very religious, I saw the film as a very anti-religious film. You know, you've got the yeah. pagans on the island, you've got the Christian who thinks his faith is going to protect him, and there, and there he is at the most vulnerable in his life, and there's no God to save him. Yeah. Um, and that's how I've always thought of the movie. And in the Q&A, he revealed that in, when it toured America, it was most popular in the southern states. <laughs> yeah, because, obviously. Because they read it as he was the ultimate martyr for his. He, he didn't lose his faith, and I'm like, and then suddenly I can see the film completely differently. Yeah, no, who you are and perception, and you know yeah. your, your your cultural background. Uh, you know, with some films, uh, you know, one guy from from England and one guy from from the south will see the same movie and come you know come up with completely different movie. Well, I, but, but but also it's made me think of the film differently now as well. It's sort yeah, of like, oh, yeah. Which is fantastic. Now, let's remind people, when can they see The Shelter? August 28th at 8.40. I actually land on August 28th at like 7 a.m. So, you know, I'm getting The Shelter screening right off the bat. 8.40, Friday night. Come, everybody. You know, we're going to have a good time. And uh, I'm trying to sell. I'm not good at it. So, just come. It's worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Just get, get your fucking ass in the seats. Let's go. That's a that's a that's a fair claim. Um, now um, we like to ask everybody who comes on the podcast to give to recommend us a British horror, their favorite British horror movie. Do you, do you have one? Uh, well, I'm a big Hammer fan. Okay. Uh, um, my favorite. It's tough. You know, my, my favorite doesn't have to be the best one, right? Of course, no. Your favorite is, is can be very personal. I think it's uh, Scars of Dracula. Okay, I've not seen that one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's stuck with me. And uh, but but in terms of British imports, yeah, my my favorite thing is Iron Maiden. What the band? Yes, the band. I'm a huge Iron Maiden fan. Like it's the first band I, I ever fell in love with. Uh, I never stop loving them. I go to all their concerts. Uh, they're just the best fucking band in the world. <laughs> well, I, I live in I live in a part of East London, which is Leighton Leightonstone, which is famous for two things: Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, and Iron Maiden's first gig. Nice. How about that there for for a nice tie-in? That's very nice, man. <laughs> Actually, is, is there like an Iron Maiden tour in England I could take or something? I'm not aware of that. I'm not aware of it. But uh, if you if you um, I can find you the name of the pub and the address if you want to go and pay homage to where they first played live. Yeah, that'd be great, man. I'd love to check that out. Um, but yes, um, that was a, an aside I never thought I was going to have on the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I keep using Iron Maiden as, as a measure of uh, I use it as a measure of Iron Maiden being like heavy metal, as mm-hmm. in that's the barometer of it. Like like a hardcore horror film is 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 a horror film, and then there's yeah. all this other stuff that you know. Obviously, King Crimson are a bit different than Buddy Iron Maiden. Like, yeah. like your film is different from Saw. You know, it's like, yeah, definitely, yeah. You know what I mean? But I was thinking, like, when people think of horror or heavy metal, they kind of have this one-dimensional view, and I think they always Iron Maiden's an easy one to give people if they if they don't have a clue what they're talking about. But obviously, if they're fans of it, it's like which which is your favourite album out of interest? As oh well? wow, that's 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 I, like. Are you Almost are you pre Bruce? Are you pre Bruce or post? Oh, I love all of them. Well, I love the Bruce era more. Okay. Actually, I think that the Blaze Bailey era, I only started uh, uh, discovering uh, like a couple of years ago because once once Bruce left and Blaze came in and I listened to a couple of Blaze songs and I totally tuned out. I was like, all right, Maiden's dead to me. 
fuck this shit, I'm out. And uh, then, of course, you know, Bruce came back with Brave New World. And But my, my friend is a band promoter, and he had uh, Blaze play here in Montreal. So I went and helped him out, you know, in, in terms of setting up the show and everything. And then I saw Blaze live, and, and I was like, wow, this guy's actually really good. So I went back and uh, listened to um, the two Blaze Bailey albums, and uh, yeah, no, it's now they're, they're they're definitely up there. And have you have you gone even further back and discovered Blaze's Wolfsbane records? No, I didn't go that far. I didn't go uh, in terms of Wolfsbane, but uh, you know, I, I love you know I love all of all of the Maiden, like you know Paul Diano with Killers and Iron Maiden, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. my favorite my favorite is Bruce, and if I had to choose one album that I'm I'm really uh, over and over again, probably, God, it's so hard, Peace of Mind, Power Slave. Um, Power Slave is usually, is usually one that people go for. Power Slave. But you know, you know, Brave New World is one I've been going back to a lot yeah. uh, now of late, which I think is very strong. And their new one now is, you know, I'm sure uh, Book of Souls is coming out. And uh, word on the street is that it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's Maiden just upping the ante on Maiden. So I, I, yeah, I can't. I can't wait to fucking get that album. All right. Well, after giving Iron Maiden a bit of problem, let's remind people of when, they, <laughs> when and where they can see your film, The Shelter. Let's get the one more one more reminder. The Shelter is going to be on August twenty eighth at eight forty. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there to introduce the film. I'm going to be there to give you guys the Shelter baseball caps, uh, sign some uh, Shelter postcards. Uh, I'm going to be there for Q and A afterwards. If you have tomatoes, bring them. I'll be there for those too. <laughs> Well, look, thank you very much for coming on the Briefless Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Stuart. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. You did something for the first time.